Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have a rock star on. I have Alicia Elaine Schneider on the show. You guys are not going to believe this story, so hang tight. We'll be right back. And we're back. Let me bring Alicia on. Alicia, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How are you? I am so excited to have you here. So um, you're driving down the road in St. Pete, Florida right now. It looks a lot warmer there than it is here in Ohio. It's very warm. And I actually have my uh, famous uh, husband driver, John Schneider's driving. Hi, hi. I'm passing <laughs> Bo Duke, tell him My not own? to be jumping anything. He said no jumping. <laughs> oh, come on. Right? So, so Alicia, um, like, I know you have an absolutely incredible story. Um, and I, I'm I, I'm honored that you're here, quite frankly. So, I think it's going to be fun. Right? Yeah. Let's have fun. That's, the, That's if the it key. isn't fun, I don't do it. So, same. That's right. <laughs> It's so not worth it. No, it's not. So, so you let's start. You know, I created this show about three years ago to help people have a breakthrough in life. And, um, you know, I think that, um, oh, look, there's Rex Sykes, Robert Evans, and my yes. manager. Oh, you know, Rex? <laughs> That's so funny. That's funny. So, so, um, you know, I, I like to start with you telling everybody where you were born and raised. Well, I was a little girl that came from a little small town in Louisiana. And originally back then I had blue eye, blue, blue eyeshadow permed hair and said the words axe. So <laughs> Bruley, Louisiana. Wow. And is that like, is that where you went to school and high school and all that? And I went to a Catholic school, then switched to public school, which was probably the worst move that my parents made because I was a rebel in the public school system. Were you a rebel in Catholic school? Uh, I was probably, I was very scared of the sisters. Yeah. Very heard- scared of the sisters, but like you got in a public school and I could realize I had leeway with rules and I could push the rules. I pushed them. Did you really? What yeah. was that? Why? Why do you think you did that? Um, honestly, it's because back then, this was like in the eighties. So, um, I wanted, there's a thing called Votech or shop and you could go half day high school and half day to Votech. Well, back then they only had things for guys. And I was like, well, this isn't cool. And so I went and met with the principal and, um, I said, I want something for girls. And he goes, well, you're going to have to go to the school board. And he goes, if you can get a school board and a beauty school to take you on, I'll give you credit when I did that. And so I graduated from high school before I graduated from beauty school. And then there was another thing that I was like very um, assertive about and said that I wanted a dance team because I was tired of being part of the cheerleading team and I felt we needed a dance team. And so I 
created the dance team. We said, if you can get someone to sponsor the dance team and, you know, I did it. And that dance team now has won nationals and states in our little hometown. Um, and that's one of the things that I like hang my hat on a lot. And uh, I was lucky that I like, got out of my little town, um, got to work in the movie industry at a very young age, not connected to Hollywood and lucked out and um, kind of networked my way the same way I networked in this small town and, and uh, networked my way through Hollywood. So at a young age, you got into the, the movie business? Uh-oh, yeah, you're breaking um, up. I came into the beauty school when I was getting my, can you hear me? You're, yeah, it's coming back. It's now? coming back. Yep. Yeah, I think it's because once we get, we're going to be at our place in just a minute, so it might get better. Um, okay. But uh, this guy, can you get me? Yep. All right. This guy came into the beauty school back in the day and um, asked anyone wanted to work on a movie. And I uh, said, he goes, it doesn't pay. And I'm like, I was 18. I was like, pay? Job? Movie? I mean, I grew up like watching satellite TV yeah. because we didn't have cable back then where I lived. Right. And I was, all I wanted to, was to have my name on the, you know, in the credits. I didn't care where it was. I just wanted my name in the credits. <laughs> and so this guy said, hey, you want to do it? And I'm like, sure. So I like, you know, tenured under him as an assistant here and makeup person. And then there was a movie called Sex Eyes Videotape. And then that catapulted us into the mainstream of, as a couple and I did hair and makeup with him all over and got an agent and traveled all over. And I did these great movies and traveled to China and did a movie called Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. And this wow. is the first time, right? And I was like, you know, I was at this point in time, I was 21. I, when I originally met, I was 18 and we went from movie to movie to movie. And we were a couple. It was great. Who's, who's the, I think you broke up. Who, who, who were you with? I was a, it was a makeup artist. He was a gentleman named by the name of James Ryder. And okay. we ended up getting married. I was very young, very, uh, very rebellious. And um, we were very also just work, work, workaholics. And um, yeah. so anyway, movie after movie. And then we ended up at a movie called Dragon the Bruce Lee Story in Hong Kong. And you know, me, I didn't have a college education. I just like went from high school to beauty school to in the work world and yeah. was very, very lucky. And I met this woman named Rafaela De Laurentiis and I was 21 and she was like 40. I had no clue that she came from like a dynasty of you know, filmmakers. I'm just like, I saw this woman who's kicked butt. And I was like, that's who I want to be like. And very naively, I said, I want to be a producer. I had already been doing hair and makeup and using that kind of as my education Yeah. and yeah. Um, in, in the business. And I saw her and I was like, I want to be her. Very naively. Three years <laughs> later, I produced my first movie. And that was an adaptation of Dostoevsky's Notes from Underground. And I produced it for, actually produced it for less than 25,000 production wise, but all in less than 75,000, I think. And we did it on film back wow. in the day. Yeah. And wow. it's actually still a teaching mechanism in, high, in colleges. So that's a cool thing to hang my hat on. And then that kind of started my role in the indie world. And I ended up 
marrying my daughter's father, um, Pat Dollard. And he worked at a little company called William Morris Agency. And back in the day, there was no such thing as the end of the film division. It was Patrick Dollard and Morgan Mason long before there was a Cassie and Elways. Actually, I used to work with Cassie and as a producer back in the day and now as a hairstylist. So anyway, Patrick and I, um, and Morgan Mason and a handful of other people like great Mike, Mike Simpson and all these great people out of William Morris um, were very much renegades. And then there was a gentleman named Brandon Tartikoff who jumped on my little bitty board of directors for a little bitty company that I had called Renegade Films. And Renegade did notes from Underground and a couple other. And then you know, life just kind of evolved and waxed and waned. And I learned how to package movies and put financing together. And then I got catapulted into a little world called Propaganda Films with those guys. Still indie though. And then my last indie film that I had done before I went and worked for uh, a man that I hustled named Robert Evans. My last indie film I did was a, for, um, called Autofocus. And Autofocus was an adaptation of Hogan Heroes, uh, Bob Crane's life story. And when I got the script, you know, I was kind of known at propaganda for putting together things that were outside the propaganda realm, putting little movies together and taking loans out that I probably should not have taken loans out for. <laughs> so anyway, um, on, on autofocus, propaganda is demising. Sony Picture Classics has not gotten into film finance yet. And there was a gentleman, um, James Seamus, that was at Green Machine, um, later on became the head of, you know, focus, focus features. So I'm out there, literally, propaganda is going down. I have credit cards floating. Like I had like, you know, you know, a plethora of credit cards back then. <laughs> I, uh -oh. I know that I got a phone call in the middle of the night is we don't got you covered. And I was like, holy crap. And <laughs> James James and I get on the phone with Michael Barker at Sony Classics. And I was like, okay guys, I got this. I don't know how we got this, but I got it. And so we coasted, and I'll never forget, the bank took over us, took over propaganda, and I'm moving. Paul Schrader, mind you, the like, you know, the mastermind behind Taxi Driver. He is our director. He did the rewrites on Autofocus. Wow. I'm in the middle of the night moving us from propaganda, finding us another, um, first propaganda told me I had three months. I literally had 24 hours to move us out down the street, find an office, and not miss a beat because September 11th had happened. So we were already behind the gun because we had the had started and stopped production. So there was no margin of error. There was no margin of error because I'm like one, not independently wealthy, and my credit cards only lasted so long. Wow. And right, and it's wow. with Schrader, right? And so Schrader's already the notorious man that he is. And, you know, Raging Bulls and all those stories and books that you read, that's Schrader. And wow. uh, who I love and admire. I love and admire and inspired later on. And that's a whole other story if you ever want to, want to do that well, story. Hang, hang, hang on. So we just, yeah. we went, we went from being a hairdresser to a movie yep. producer, like really yep. quickly. And that's how life <laughs> is. And that's how like... Yeah, but, but like, I, I got, I got to ask this, like what in the world, like, I don't, I, I, and I don't even know what a movie producer does. I don't know. I, I think Glenn told me producers finance the project. Is that right? Or 
Okay, so let's, well, let me give you like a little backup. So when I was in beauty school, I read books, the, the man that mentored me on my hair, I read books like Norman Vincent um, Peale. I read The Art of War, The Art of the Game, um, all these great things that inspired and shaped me um, when I was 15. So I was very wow. much, right? How lucky That's was so that? That's so awesome. Right? So I, those tactics for me are ingrained. Hey. I think I had it by nature, but then reading them, Dale Carnegie, that um, probably would have went down the road because I, like I said earlier, I got in my first week chase when I was 14 years old. I was driving illegally. Um, and I had a, a zest for speed and I like used to drag race and do all those crazy things. Had I not read those type of business books, I probably would have went down a different road, but I was inspired in a different way. So I took those wow. things and, um, used Hollywood as a tool because Hollywood's like a small town. And I grew up in a small town. My mom was the hairdresser, kind of like seal magnolias. And, um, it was that thing for me. So I, it was easy. I was naively baldish, bullish, and had, um, as Robert Evans used to call me, Jimmy Cagney, um, I just was relentless with things. And so I'm sure that's how I ended up being a hairdresser and took chances, a gambler by nature, and became a producer. And a producer not only raises financing, but they put projects together. Um, they make projects, they fall in, they place it, they, they scrub the toilets, you know, they're the people that like <laughs> do everything, every, yeah. every job, no one else wants to do. That's what a producer does. Wow. So, so you, you take a movie script and, and then are you, or does the producer decide like, yeah, this is a script we should, we should make into a movie. And is that, how different that goes. Levels, yeah, and different levels of producing. We do all of that. Um, we do the budgets. Okay. We do the schedule. I do everything. Budget, scheduling, wow. delivery, post-production, artistic development. And all of that is shaped how I grew up in the business. So my time at tenure, when I hustled a gentleman. Actually, let's go back to Rob. Let's go back to Brandon Tortikoff. So like, Brandon Tortikoff was the head of NBC at the time. And I met him. Um, he was transcending, transitioning from NBC into Triad Pictures. Tri I think it was Triad Pictures back in the days in the 90s. It's me and the memory banks. I haven't spoken about this in a while. Wow. Um, so he was one of my first mentor, and he saw that I had a lot of gumption. And um, he, I had a lot of access to him, and his daughter was dying of cancer. Later, he died the same cancer, but he was someone that um, mentored me all the way up to his death. Um, and then later, I went back into the industry. That's how I went back into, um, I'd given birth to my daughter. I went back in the industry, repositioned myself, went into propaganda films, produced autofocus, propaganda demising. I was so lucky to um, be around Paul Schrader, and he trusted me enough um, to go shoulder to shoulder with him. And I got to do a lot of, uh, risk taking. And I did a lot of risk taking without a safety net. And, um, anyway, we did autofocus and I'm very, very proud of that movie. And I was one of the only producers that number one, he gave accolades to. Wow. Um, and 
I was also one of the only producers that he referenced uh, for that film. So that makes me feel really great. And I've had dinner with him and I'm still on the friends list on Facebook. So that should say something about Schrader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. That's awesome. So, so, so you found yourself in the middle of the producer world and were you no longer, so you didn't do hair and makeup any, any longer, I'm assuming. No, I had stopped doing hair and makeup. The last movie I did hair and makeup on was a movie called The Apostle. And, um, I had, I had actually, re I had retired and then went back into doing it. I always go back to doing hair because it's something I can do, um, it's innately john i'm gonna stay right here because i have good sun and good yeah yes i'm um, sorry about that john's taking my bag he's such a wonderful hubby <laughs> yeah somebody just said i'm assuming alicia has a driver is it john <laughs> the best yeah. driver in the world right yeah no kidding um so my last movie that i did hair and makeup on was a movie called the apostle and that was you know a great experience because of uh, bobby Duvall. And then I got to meet this wonderful woman who um, sang to me every morning and as I had to age her. And this woman's name was June Carter. And she's June Carter Cash. Wow. And I'll never forget the day um, as she sang to me all these great Carter songs. She goes, do you mind doing my husband's hair? And I said, hell no. <laughs> and I went, I was, I'm thinking about it as I'm braiding her hair. So she is meaning freaking Johnny Cash. And I was like, oh, oh my, my God. God, right? Wow. And so, and so as he walks in the makeup trailer and he was a, only other man that I met like that was James Earl Jones. And he was a presence, you know, James Earl Jones yeah. a, as a presence of a man. Johnny Cash, a presence of a man. John Schneider has that same sort of presence where they like the room just it, they it's a natural thing that you um, have a magnetic attraction to them. You know what I mean? It's not a command yeah. of the room. It's just a natural thing that they do. So anyway, I met Johnny. He walked in and he goes, darling, is, any, is there anything you could do with this old man's hair? And I looked up at him and I said, sit down. I have died and gone to heaven. <laughs> so he sits down. I cut his hair and I trim his sideburns. Well, my own naiveness again and stupidity. I trim the sideburns and he goes, those hadn't been trimmed in 30-something years. And I looked at him and I said, well, it's about damn time. And he just laughed. Jeez. Johnny Cash story. You um, trimmed Johnny Cash's sideburns. That's unbelievable. And wow. June Carter used to cook me dinner in their camper, their their not their camper, but their bus. Wow. And and tell me stories. And we would sit around with Bill Joe Shaver and wow. all these great people. And that's like when I was a hairstylist, I had all these great experiences. Yeah. As a producer. I had all these great experiences, and I hustled my old, my old, that's my ex-husband. Um, I said, I said, I'm done with indies. I'm like, I, I, it was autofocus was the hardest thing I had done. And I said, I'm just, I'm done. It wore me out and I was tired of, um, white knuckling life. And I said, it's gotta be better going as a producer. And I want, I want, I want an interview with Robert Evans. My ex-husband represented him. I said, look, I just want an interview. I, I I will work for free for the man. Well, got the interval, interview, and I had the I had the accolade, the calling card of autofocus. And he goes, why do I want to hire you? And I said, you don't have to hire me. I just want to work for you. 
And I said, watch my movie that I like. And I told him the story and he's like, watch the movie. He called me back and he says, kid, you could come in and talk to me. Well, he would never call me by my name. He only called me the girl. And he did this <laughs> for six months. And it is very Evans. And so like I'd answer the phone, Robert Evans company. And he would go, oh, give me the girl. And I'm like, put him on hold. And I'm like, the girl. I'm like, who in the frick is the girl? <laughs> Didn't realize he was talking about me. And I could barely understand him sometimes. I love having this really dark voice. And sometimes he, all, most of the pictures you see of him is he's in bed. And he that's how he did things. He ran phones and Sumner would call. And there's so many stories that I said that after he passed, I would write a book about it. And it's called cashing in on seduction and seduction was not a sexual thing for him it's about the potential of uh offering someone's like fulfillment of what their desires are and um there's a there's a whole book not a chapter a whole book that i can write about evans in that whole world Look, rex rex just said book book needs to write a book <laughs> right it will evans passed last october and um, I was one of the fortunate ones that was still allowed to come in the house and um, sit wow. on the bed and still have drinks with him and still laugh. And um, I still send the house white flowers in honor of him. I still send the house his favorite cake for his birthday. I'm still very much involved with my Robert Evans family and love them still very much today and took them out to dinner. I was saddened that Paramount didn't honor him the way that he should have been. And I'm sorry if I get a little upset about this. Um, they didn't honor him for what he is and was. And um, so anyway, uh, the family, wow. us, our, our Evans family still honors him. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And that is that it? That's in L.A.? Yep, that's in L.A. Okay. So every okay. time I go there, I make sure I go and hug Alan, um, who was... Evans, gentlemen's gentlemen, and uh, Michael, who ran the house, and everyone from the house. I make sure I hug their necks and uh, send them something. And I usually send them white flowers so they can always take a white rose home. Wow. Evans was a classy guy. That's beautiful. That's yep. absolutely beautiful. So, so you, um, how long did you, how long did you do that? How long did you work there? I was um, in and out of Evan's life uh, from 2002 until his passing, um, and life catapulted me back home to Louisiana. My crazy ex-husband um, lost his mind, and you can read. He has the longest um, article ever written in Vanity Fair, and I'm not to give him accolades, but um, he's a brilliant man that just lost his way in the world. But um, if you ever have a chance, it's a, it's the article is Vanity Fair 2000. 16 Pat Dollard. If you read that, you'll read about my crazy life because he and I were still business partners and we have a child together that I ended up raising. Um, but it'll give you some insight to the crazy world that I lived in. And then me um, navigating not only my crazy ex-husband, but also, you know, there's great stories with Robert Evans. And um, if you look at pictures of me with Evans, you'll always see me in a suit. Because I never wanted to be confused as one of Evan's um, escorts. That's the easiest way for me to put that. Um, there's escorts that would come and go from Vanity Fair. And anytime Evans had to be at an event, um, they, he was picked up and taken care of. And um, 
Wow. It was just it, right. And so for me being, and not that I look attractive right now because I don't have hair and makeup done, but I never wanted to be confused with, I was always about business with uh, Evans in that world and the same way with my ex-husband. Yeah. So, 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 so you ended up, um, and when, wh what year did you end up back in Louisiana? Um, I committed coming back to Louisiana in 2007, 2008. Okay. to raise my daughter. And then um, I made a commitment to her that I was walking away from the business. And from, I went back to show business. Yes. Wow. She, she could not handle the lifestyle and my ex-husband's sobriety became compromised every, every day. And he lived like in this five story house in the Hollywood Hills. I lived down below. We had a business relationship and, um, sobriety part of it was just very difficult for her and um mm. i ended up making a choice to make my commitment to her thanks to my ex-husband's mom who was my nanny who was a very powerful very smart puerto rican lady yeah. and very empowering and um, i chose my daughter and so i raised her and at the age of 18 i looked at her and i said either you're moving out or i'm moving out one of us <laughs> is going because i'm focusing back on the movie business really and that's, how I, and that's how i met john so okay so you you you're in like i i don't i don't know the hollywood lifestyle i know nothing about it except for i'm friends with glenn morshauer we're best friends and but he's not he's not i don't think he fits the typical hollywood mold in any way right. so so i don't i don't real i can't relate to a lot of it outside of what i've seen and read and and all of that so but i would think and this may be an understatement but i would think that that going from hollywood from that lifestyle to Louisiana is a massive, massive culture shock change. Let's talk about, well, I grew up in this. I grew up yeah, in Louisiana. Right. I'm talking okay. about your daughter. She Are actually you... chose it. So we went to private wow. school in LA and I had a house next door to my parents who was on a river and she chose that. She fought for that. And um, so that was, that was an adjustment for me. Cause I'm like, oh my God, I fought to get out of the small town made it in another cutthroat small town and sat in an eagle's nest. I sat in, you know, once Evans stopped calling me the girl and started calling me, I'll never forget, we're at dinner with Alexander Payne at Koi. Alexander was about to win the Academy Award for Sideways. And I yeah. had a bet with Evans and I won the bet. And then that was the dynamic shift with him that um, he actually started calling me by my name. And within six months after that, so I've been unemployed for six months working for him. Another six months, I'm down to my last $10 trying to feed oh. Jessica and trying to put gas in the car. And I went up to Evans and I said, I can't do this anymore. I failed. I've tried. And I, I, I've, it was amazing to me on what the studio system was. I didn't know that I was how much I was learning when I was there. And then I, for me to admit failure was the biggest thing. And he looked at me and he goes, I'm ready to put you on salary. He, he brought me to the point of my breaking. Oh and my God. at that point, it was a dynamic shift. And he not only put me on salary, but I ran his office 
and I became a member of that household. And then he and I went shoulder to shoulder on a lot of things together. And we got, I got in with Sirius Satellite Radio before long before anybody else was on there. And it was called In Bed with Robert Evans. I was wow. notorious at the studio for making sure that they knew that Evans still had a voice and wow. that I was not going to tolerate a lot of stuff that was going on at Paramount at the time. And that they're still going to like respect this man that I grew up, you know, ad- ad- admiring. Yeah. And right. so um, there was a lot that I didn't put up with. So that's why he called me his Jimmy Cagney. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, so you end up going back to Louisiana. What did you, so you're out of the business. What did you do? What, I mean, so you still had my, to earn money, right? Correct. And no child support. Um, nothing and I went from a very nice lifestyle so my daughter and I went and daughter did not want me being in the movie business and I was just like what the heck am I gonna do so I went back to cutting hair and what I did I um worked seven days a week wow I lived at that salon I built a salon out of nothing. I made two mistakes when I went back and invested in a salon that was not doing well. I got in business with another addict, another huge mistake that I thought I had paid my price for. Um, you know, I had thought I had done enough therapy. I had done enough stuff. Well, it was another wolf in sheep's clothing, another mm. mistake in my life. Mm. So I turned that around, focused again 100%, built a salon, into over a million dollar a year salon very successfully. Wow. Became a basically a dual income, you know, dual income in my perspective for so that my daughter could still live a lifestyle. And then at the age of 18, I said, I'm done. And I started phasing myself out of what business I built. And um, I decided to produce a movie again, partnered with a director. And I'd say I was casting and I put um, a friend of mine in it, uh, Kevin Bernhardt, who's a famous writer in the business. Um, he was friends with Amy Redford and I loved Amy's work. Obviously she's Robert Redford's daughter and okay. a wonderful actress. And then set my sights on Don Schneider and I flew to Atlanta to buy him dinner. And he was going, he was an hour and a half late. <laughs> right? Come and on, John. And Ann was going to flake on me because he, his oh. GPS was not working. And I'm like, the hell you say? I just flew here from Atlanta on my dime. Right. And he didn't know that I was going to pick up the tab because that's how I was taught. That right. as a producer in any business, in any, in any, any, um, any adventure that I'm going down, I'm always the one that does that because it sets the tone and it says how committed you are to whatever, whatever you're doing. Yeah. And that's how John and I met. He wanted to play the other role. And I said, Nope, that's typecasting and you're not going to be that in this movie. I want you to play the other role, the evolved parent that comes from the city that has a homosexual child that you're comfortable with. And I want you to go after that. Because we already know you from the other way. The good old boy, the farm farmhouse guy. I already yeah. know that man. That story, that's so typecasting, it's not even funny. Evans would kill me. 
right? I look at things like that. It's like, what would Evans do? Right. Evans would probably, Evans threw scripts at me before um, if there were curse words in them or if it had too much exposition. Like he taught me so much. You know what I mean? Like wow. Save the Cat book, great book. But spending time with Evans and then him putting me under the gun and having to like read about Mike Todd in a weekend and come up with a pitch, that's what Evans would do. Wow. And I would have to come up with a pitch, you know, so it was dissecting, not just reading a book, but like dissecting it, arcing it, and understanding how to pitch it. That was Evans. Wow. Anyway. So there's a question here for you. Were you with Evans um, during How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? That was actually Christine Peters, and I was coming in on the tails of that. So Christine had a deal with Evans under the under the um, under Paramount, and then eventually, um, eventually Christine went and had her own deal. And then I was the first person that uh, Evans allowed to take over his desk, his office, and everything. Christine had a shared an office with him, but she was a different in a different room. I actually took over Evans' desk, and I got to sit at the Evans' desk. <laughs> For wow. a long time, and I got a lot of stories with that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet you do. It's in a book. So, so yeah, we, we we gotta get you on that book. So, so, so you you met John in Atlanta, who tried to flake on you, <laughs> right? And then wanted That's... the other role. And wanted the other role. He's an hour and a half late. Which would have just ticked me off. <laughs> right? But I was on so, a mission. So right. I sat there and I'm like, I'm on the phone with him because I can't find it. I said, you need to pull over, breathe, and figure this out. And so <laughs> I can see you saying that too. So, so, so John, show, so you find, at what point did you go? Wow, I, I I love this guy. There's more to it, like than than just having him in this movie. Well, what the wild thing was, it's like I felt like we were tangoing that whole night. I'm like, is he gonna be in my movie? Is he not gonna be in my movie? Is, and I was like, I would get up to go to the bathroom. So Evans and I used to play games a lot of times, and also my ex-husband. That if things aren't going well in the room, get up and go to the restroom. And so it gives a person to digest things and get back. Also, it's a tactic. This is me tipping my hand. Um, <laughs> so if you're with your partner, um, yeah. if you're both at the table or you're both on the call, you say, hey, look, I'm going to take a step off. Well, typically, people will still have conversations and it gives indication of how the deal is going to happen. So that was like one of my, those are one of, those are my old school tricks that I used to use to be able to not regain the conversation, but make the conversation tilt back into my direction. Yeah. Anyway. Love that. Love that. All right. So, so you, you, um, you, you had, so he did, he, was he in the movie? Yes. Okay. And, good. Rock, and rocked it. We had, a, we had an issue, um, with some director and producer stuff, but, uh, it's a very good film. That I'm very, very proud of. And it's the film that got me back into the business. So then, after that, a uh, couple months later, John and I realized that there was a lot more like-mindedness. We did another little movie. The challenge is he took um, a tactic that I actually started doing in the early 90s. In the early 90s, I used to say, just put the ball in motion and we'll figure it out. 
Well, as I got older and people didn't pay me back for things that I did or might have like screwed up on that credit card. Um, <laughs> right. So John yeah. did, did, did that to us on a movie called Like Son. And that was our first movie we did together as producer and director and financier. And my little salon kept that one rolling. And I'm, I literally, we, we went from, I took him to Mardi Gras. I had a little condo in New Orleans. We we're having a great time to, oh, I'm flying an actor in. He's going to fly in and we're going to do a test to we're shooting the movie two days later. And I looked at him and I said, all right, a-hole, I'm going to go with you on this. Like next time we're not doing it this way. I'm too old for this crap. Right. So, that's how we started like sun. And the next one wouldn't prep that much better, but I at least had like two to three weeks to prep it. We still didn't have money for it. And it was still me juggling the salon. So I would go cut hair during the day and a very, very successful salon. So I would cut hair during the day, scrape off what I needed to, because my like, you know, things were paid for for me. So it was like, it was easier for me to scrape some money off and throw it into a movie. Wow. But it was still gambling and I've been a gambler my whole life. Wow. So here you are here. Hold on. Let me paint this picture. So here you are, this big time Hollywood movie producer, <laughs> right? And, and you're cutting hair to finance a movie. Yep. That's unbelievable. That is what this show is about right there. Yep. Wow. So, so you and John, um, at some point realized that there was a spark Yep. and, and you, you, you ended up getting married. Yep. The, I've seen the pictures. They're beautiful pictures. Of Thank course, you. with the general Lee in the background. Yep. <laughs> Love no that. balls, no bow, no balls, no bow. We won't take it. It's always a general Lee. Otherwise <laughs> it's just an orange charger. <laughs> I love that. So, so then you, um, I know that along the way you ran into some other challenges. Do mm -hmm. um, you want to talk about that? I'll give you another challenge too that kind of sets the thing and then we'll go right into that challenge. That you're okay. about. We also had two devastating floods and uh, the first flood uh, affected John and his property. John went through a very nasty divorce, um, even though they were estranged from each other for decades. Um, but lost everything in the, his first flood. Uh, I It was a 100-year flood. Mm. And I said, oh, 100 years, dude, we're not going to have another one of these in our lifetime. So I'll help you with your property. He had no flood insurance. So we both put money into his property. Lo and behold, six months later, a 1,000-year flood happens. It wipes everything we just did. Oh, plus my. his house. Plus his house. Plus my house plus my uh, family's house, plus other 98,000 homes in our community. Oh my gosh. So it crippled us to a whole new level. And we had just finished two movies that got compromised in that. So we were already on our fourth movie as producer director, our fifth movie together, because we had one movie before and it dropped us to our knees. Mm. So then we decided out of that, what do you do? You know, one, you have to be a beacon for the community and be a voice. And this was long before Facebook was really becoming what it was. And I said, John, this is our time. We have to be the positive leaders. I have to pull back on from what I grew up on. You know, Napoleon Hill, Dale Carnegie, 
Alan Watts, all these guys. And it's like, we have to like be a leader because there's no leaders. There's a flood that nothing, no one got coverage because there was Olympics happening and other things. So this, this flood happened because it happened with someone that had no name. Wow. And we did that. We got out of it. It was the hardest thing I've done in a long time. And we turned and flipped that around. We flipped the studio around. We lost the studio because there was a balloon payment that I couldn't, I financially, I couldn't help anymore. I had, I had mm. tapped out my resources beyond pale. Wow. And, um, and also paying the price of some credit card debt that, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it catches up yeah. with you eventually. Taking yeah. those risks at a young age pay, cost me later. Yeah. So anyway, floods, divorces, all of that kind of stuff. To we're about to start. And when I first met John, um, besides what we all grew up watching and the amazing person that he is and starting Children's Miracle Network, those are all the things I learned about him. But when I first met him, he reminded me of one a bull, um, but also he reminded me of um, an animal that had been beaten or an animal that was lashing out, that had no trust in the world. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it was like us building that trust back up with each other and then faced with adversity from you know things beyond our control, us yeah. really going shoulder to shoulder with each other. So he had to trust me to help him through all his things. And whenever my challenge happened, I had to trust him in a way that I, I had never ever been able to go through and I, and it was God given with it. So wow. on our first day of shooting of Christmas cars, and I had finally chatted with John and I'd read John's scripts and there were great scripts, but they were very much on the dark side, very heady, very, um, very methodical. But I was like, God, I, I've done these type of movies already. And I did these in my twenties and I'm not as passionate about that. You know, I, I, I was more into, let's get into mass global audiences and, and really touching people and, and telling stories. That's that to me is, was what was driving me now going yeah. into my, my late forties and, and reaching 50. So I finally chatting with John and we got the whole Christmas cars thing. And I said, let's write a story for our, your demographic. Let's write a story about what you went through, the tragedy that we went through, losing the studio, losing everything through the floods and turn that into lemonade. Got it. Wrote the script, loved it. Commit to, he and I are financing it again. The system does not pay for anything that we do. We do it on our own. Yeah. First day of shooting, actually two days before, I'm going to have a checkup and there's, I noticed there's something on my skin and I'm, I'm dealing with a, and I'll be very honest, a botched aug breast augmentation from 2015. And mm. I had had one long time ago. And then I had in 2015, they um, neglected me. And then I think that you have a, um, a critical storm happen. So I had a botched uh, augmentation an exposure of a wound for a long period of time. Jeez. You could have stress added to it. You could have probably potential mold added to it because of the floods. There's a yeah. lot of critical things happening at this point in time. Who knows? Right. I go to the doctor who I've been going and watching and then something showed up on my skin. He goes, Alicia, this doesn't look right. I think you need to go get tested. And I was like, all right. And he goes, I'm gonna make a phone call. So I did went and had my thing tested. And 
went home, didn't think twice about it because of the trauma I had been dealing with for the last few years, you know, floods and everything else and stuff. Right. And was like, I'm just gonna go back about my business, tend to one scar tissue, da 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 da. Right. Well, they're calling my phone and it's the day of shooting. And I looked at him and I looked at the phone and I said, they're probably calling to like reschedule because my test results are supposed to be back on Memorial Day weekend on Monday. And I said, they probably just realized that I'm not answering my call. I got other things to do, like yeah. movie stars flying in and all that kind of stuff. Right. Right. And yeah. so I also, John AD. So I first AD, produced, line produced, producer, post-production supervisor, help develop. I mean, it's he and I are pretty, very collaborative. It's all his brainchild, but it's all the support and collaboration. You know what I mean? Yep. So I ignore the call. Probably about the 10th or 10th time, it, I said, John, I think I need to take this. So they called and said, uh, we need you to come into the doctor's office immediately. And I said, uh, can this just wait? And like, we're shooting a movie. Can it wait 15 days? And the lady goes, no, ma'am. I was like, all right, I'm coming. So I looked at John. I said, I got to go take this. You take care of shooting today. I'm not going to be able to be on set. And this is the first day. They called you 10 times. Yes. Wow. Okay. So I figured after wow. 10 times, I should probably like go. Because that was really after so many times they leave a message. Yeah. Right? So I go in. They sit me down. And the woman, is a, she's not a regular doctor. She's just a dermatologist. And she looks at me and she's about to cry. And she goes, you've been diagnosed with stage four HER2 negative cancer. And I oh. looked at her and I was like, there's just no way. You know what I mean? I'm healthy. I'm like, you know, I'm maybe a little bit overweight then, but not much. And I was like, I'm healthy. But you've got to find something wrong. She goes, we're going to schedule you a sonogram, a mammogram, and all of this. And I said, okay, great. We're going to do this in 15 days. She looked at me and she goes, no, ma'am. I'm doing this now. I was like, okay, well, I'm figuring I'm getting in a car. I'm driving back to set and I'm just going to go to work. And this is a big blow. And I'm like, this, there's got to be something wrong. Wow. Can't be true. So I'm going to work. I get a phone call from the hospital and they said, okay, your mammogram is set up for now and your sonogram. I'm like, these people really mean business. So I call yeah. John and I tell him what's going on. And I said, hey, look, I'm going to go and do these steps. I'm sure it's nothing. I'm sure they're, they're saying it's something and it's not. I'm going to go do it. So I did the mammogram, did the sonogram, came back, sat me down again. Uh, we feel that you have two big masses and that uh, we feel that it's metastatic and we want to set you up with a PET scan. And they did also a uh, tissue sample. Tissue sample came back HER2 negative, um, wow. hormone, hormone receptor positive. We want to set you up with a PET scan. Well, my head is spinning. I'm also worried about set because I have people working and I'm not there. Um, and so wow. I called John, called my parents, called my daughter, sat there down with everyone individually. I went on set and John's doing the death scene where he's saying, thank God you do, to the love of his life who had passed away, Maudine, and you know, the coffee cups with the initials are about me and John. That's our... Yeah. 10 minutes we have every morning and we'll do that until both of us till until eternity that's going to be one of our things wow so he, as i'm walking up as i've been diagnosed with a terminal cancer he's singing that song and i have to sit there and hold my crap together and not lose it and be 
not a sissy, but just like I couldn't break down. And I didn't want to be a drama because my biggest thing is to keep us moving forward. Yeah. Not not to stop the show. Because you have to, when I grew up, commit, execute, move on. And that came from the William Morris days. And I can't remember who was the head of William Morris back then, but his philosophy was commit, execute, move on. So we'd already committed the commitment and the execution. So I had to finish it. Wow. And the next day they wanted me to do a PET scan. And uh, John said, I'm, I'm stopping. And I said, no, we're going to figure out the day. I'll go do the, spe- the, the pet. And he goes, absolutely not. You're not going there without me. So he figured out how to shoot the movie theater scene in less than four hours and wow. make it to my pet scan and be with me every step of the way. Oh my God. Wow. That crazy. That's, that's so, yeah. unbelievable. Wow. So we, kept, we kept it under wraps, <clears throat> did not do a big thing. And then as myopically as I focused on John and then myopically as I focused on John and I, I, for the first time had to myopically focus on me. Yeah. And thank God I had the grandfather that I did and came from the family that I came from. I had a, I have great matriarchs, great patriarchs and great parents and um, with a lot of fight and determination. So I accumulated a lot of knowledge, read a crap ton. Like I'm one of those like mega readers and then yeah. figured out my critical path. And then I had on our wedding day, um, and first we shared this with you, um, because of the tenacious environment or toxic environment um, of John's divorce, which is a whole other book. Um, <laughs> he, yeah. they wouldn't, he was still married. And we, um, a, fr- a pastor friend of mine that I know from California, very good, wonderful man near my hometown, ironically but I knew him in California, um, said, when you're ready and John is ready, I will marry you in the house of God. And he goes, and then God will make the way for you to legally do it. And I went, I, that just went, whoa. Because I had turned as soon as um, was, I was diagnosed, I immediately turned to God. I, was, I have always been Christian. But yeah. it turned on as an amplifier and it dropped me through my knees. And I, not did God spare me, but God get me through this so that I can help teach others what to do. Because it was, yeah. it was being given a death sentence. And for me, I knew in my heart that I had enough brain power to commit to what the journey was. And yeah. I had enough faith in God to get me through the other side of this. And I had Jeez. a wonderful man supporting me through the process. And what year What year was that? It was 2019. I was given oh my, my um, in fact, this month in February, I think February 20th, is my anniversary date of being cancer-free. And not having, so I went from having a Christmas tree PET scan that it was on my legs, all of my bones, my spine, both breast, um, rib cage, and uh, femur. And uh, my oh, PET man. scan now is zero. We'll never say I'm cancer free because you're obviously born with cancer, 
but yeah. they're calling it they they first time used the word remission it took them a year to use the word remission but on february 20th was my first free clear pet scan and i've had five since then and wow. now the insurance company will not give me a pet scan they'll only give me a ct because i show no signs of carcinoma wow however i still get checked so john and i had a long conversation about this the other day and i said i would rather pay for a pet scan knowing that my new bar is here way way above me yep and i would rather come out of pocket if the insurance company doesn't want to pay it because i don't want to live in fear of a inadequate scan an inferior scan i shouldn't say a fear it's an yeah. inferior scan, the CT, and it's not yeah. as good as the PET. So it's always going to have doubt. And for me, I would rather have a clearer mind so that I don't have. This is the easiest way for me to explain this. Doctors always give you possibilities. And when possibilities that are negative on the mind can have a negative adverse effect on you. Yep. And it's all about perception and how you perceive things. It's kind of like when you buy a car and you think your car's the only car, and then all of a sudden you see 10,000 on, on the road like yours. Yep. Yeah. It's all about perspective, right? Yep. Yep. It is. So that's my thing with cancer. And so, um, what, I, what, what do you think, Alicia? What do you think? What was it that, that, what do you think cured? the got rid of it what was it that you was there anything in particular that you did that that made the difference mm -hmm. number one i'll share this with you i met with the man that created the the medicine that i went on um and it's it was immunology and it's called ibrance and i was told by three oncologists i had a great <clears throat> team and now i have a fourth oncologist and that's out of md anderson um but the three oncologists said that this medicine was only going to be a placeholder. I was going to be on it for the rest of my life. It's not going to save my life. And when I was told that, and I was sat in the room at UCLA with the man that developed it and his team, and he's an amazing man. And I was like, well, that's not acceptable to me. And it's not one thing that I did. It's all things that I did. One, I did it by deeming my body on earth as it is in heaven. And I did that through God. And I do that every day through God. Wow. I thank him every day for giving me the opportunity to be a voice, a beacon, and to do the right thing. And that's part of the reason why I love John and I together, because we want to help uplift voices that want to right the wrongs in the world. I so. love that. So it, what was the medicine called again? It was called Ibrant. But what I did was called adjunctive therapy. So, so, you know, all, I look at things, I'm hearing myself in the background. So I look at things this way, me being a hairstylist, there was a reason why. So when I was a hairstylist, I bought a machine that um, dealt with infrared therapy, which was happening in um, Asia for a long time, Australia for a long time, and hadn't really come to the United States. I bought that machine in 2000 and... 2009 and I just really okay. wanted it for weight loss and you know helping my metabolism I was older I wanted to sweat out toxins 
Um, and there wasn't really anything I got in Baton Rouge and I bought that to that area. That was part of my adjunctive cancer treatment. Also, my grandfather was wow. huge into eating well, and he was huge into vitamins and minerals. He was a, he, my, my relatives always laughed at him because he put cayenne pepper in everything. And he always ate tons of garlic. But right, right before my grandfather slipped 100% into his Alzheimer's, he literally looked at me. Not very, I was very close to all my grandparents. Um, and I still have one today who's 96. She's such a rock star. Wow. Um, right? She's a rock star. Like on it. Like so smart. Um, Jesse taught me about the prelude to the Constitution and that they used to do that back in the day. I had even forgotten that there was a prelude to the Constitution. No. Love it that wow. she told me that. Right? That was my lesson <laughs> I learned from her the other day. So anyway, uh, grandfather, grandfather was obsessed with magnesium, potassium, D3, and all of this stuff, and eating his food and eating his vegetables. And he would fly seeds in, you know, it's just long before the internet. So he would fly these books in from all over the world, seeds in from all over the world. He figured out how in Louisiana to grow 15 different varieties of banana plants. That's oh how like gosh. he's he was so brilliant and read like crazy. And wow. right before he slipped into full-on Alzheimer's, he looked at me and he goes, my nickname was Pumpkin. Not Pumpkin, but Pumpkin. Pumpkin. And he goes, the key to life is your magnesium and your potassium and your minerals. And don't forget that. And I forgot because he passed away in 20, he passed away in 2013. Wow. Um, I had forgotten that until I went into my cancer research. And that was something that resonated so much with me. And herbs resonated so much with me because of being a stylist. And I did phytotherapy, which um, inspired horse, which inspired Aveda, which was, this is in the 1980s. So all wow. of that led into my journey of therapy with cancer. So then a lot of things were familiar. So it was like, okay, I get this. So I could take very quickly from what I was reading and compile those into lists. And then I could take from, oh, keeping my heart rate over 150 three times a week is critical. And John, when I didn't want to keep my heart rate over 150, was the man that picked me up and pushed me to do that. Wow. Um, and D3, critical thing. I jumped my D3 up to 10,000 units a day, my magnesium to 1,000. Um, I used to, believe it or not, this is an LA thing, colonics. Colonics kind of came into vogue in the 1990s. I did that in LA. I was all into homeopathics. And it was cleaning the guts out, but not only cleaning the guts out, but putting nutrition back in it. So having good probiotics. Jeez. And all of those things put me in a path. And this is what the craziest thing is. This is how good God works. And I'm not here to preach about that. The platform for me is just pay attention to your world because it's all around you. You already have been given your tools. So this is on my wedding day. One of my dear friends who runs a cancer cap for kids. A woman I aspire to be like, I love her to death, she's a great mentor to me. She comes into our house and we live in the boonies. We live in a one light town. She pulls in, as no, she knew I was getting married, but it was like a private thing and we weren't doing that big of a deal. And she goes, what's going on? I said, I'm getting married. And she goes, oh, I don't mean to bother you. I said, no, 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 I got time for you. Come here, sit down. <laughs> so she and I 
talked and she goes, it hits on me and I have to tell you this. You are already, and she knew I was diagnosed. She goes, you're already on your path and there's gonna be things that deter you, but you have already been given your tools. And she goes, I don't know why this is sitting so hard to me, but I wanna share that with you. And those words reminded me every time I thought or I questioned that I was on the wrong path that I was on. And those words came up and they give me chills. And I would read and read and then I was at peace was, okay, trust in the method now. And that's what I did. And I've done that same method and I still do the same method. And what I do now is that I mentor anyone that wants to listen. And I only suggest two books and I would love to find the writer of these two books. I read a lot of books, but they're the first two that I recommend. And one day when I'm not running 90 miles an hour, I'm gonna reach out to both of them because they're two different authors and share with them what I use, their, their tools. And then I also have another arsenal of books that after the person reads one of these two books, because they're, they're suited for two different things, after they read it and they can speak the same language as I, I will sit down with them because then it shows that they value what I ask them to do. They're just yeah. not cherry picking. So then I can give enough to them. You know what I mean? Because a lot of times are, people take but won't do. Are you are you going to share the names of the books? <laughs> yeah, there are two there are two books, and I'm also writing a book. My book is called Oh Hell No, because <laughs> that's the attitude. But the two I books love that, that I the two books that I recommended, and one of the critical things for me is keto. Mm. Um, and that was one of my adjunct therapies. It's not the only one but it's a critical one and I did it. Um, it's Miriam and I can't remember her last name right now, but a keto for cancer. Her name is Miriam and I can't remember what the last name is. And the other one is keto for diabetics stage two. And I mentor diabetics and people that are diagnosed with cancer uh, wow. to help them say, to start them on their path and be an inspiration. My cancer um, people that I tried to inspire, you guys are going? Okay. My cancer patients that I try to inspire, I give them other books to read, like Starving Cancer, um, Gersey, um, The Gersian Way. I follow some of that. I'm more keto um, and starvation of cancer, and then doing my vitamins and my minerals. But those are my two books. And then I'll tell you this story real quick. My dad, diabetes, um, belly kept just getting bigger and bigger. My mom's very frustrated, starting to become an agitation between their marriage. And they've been married since since 1969, so 1966, I think is when they got married. Wow. And um, my mom's complaining about my dad. And I'm. we're all trying to coach dad and dad's, you know, dad's an old bull. <laughs> I told mom and I said, hey, aren't you the cook in the family since you're retiring? And she goes, yeah, mom has heart issues. And I said, okay, you read the book. You cook the food. And then I want him to read the book. And then I'm going to sit down with the both of you. And dad did. Mom did. And mom cooks also helps me. We travel a lot. So I'll provide her food, provide her the uh, ingredients to things. And she helps cook so that I can eat healthy while we're on the road. Wow. Uh, that's for me very critical. And yeah. um, my dad's um, points went from an eight down to a six and he dropped 50 pounds. Wow. Right? And he's like he was when he was in his 20s post-Vietnam. Like he's like, what? 
<clears throat> so, yep. so, so you don't, you don't recommend, um, whether you have been diagnosed with cancer or not, you don't recommend drinking things like Coca-Cola or Pepsi yep. or Dr. Pepper or any of that, right? You have to run from those things. Okay, let's talk about this real quick. This is a great educational moment. In my research, I found that an average person 100 years ago, guess how much sugar they used to eat 100 years ago, a year. Average no person, not, a, not an obese average i have no clue five pounds of sugar a year okay okay Today, that seems like a lot person average person not obese how many pounds of sugar a year do you think they eat uh three pounds 150 pounds of sugar oh my god okay. And when you go get a PET scan, guess what I found out? I thought, you know, this is my whole thing when I got a PET scan. I was scared. Look, when I, I tell you just like I'm white knuckling life on so I, I'm a warrior and I will white knuckle and I'm trusting and I'm reading. But as I'm learning things, because I ask tons of questions, like when they do a sonogram, when I'm doing the CT scans, when I'm in the PET scans, when I'm thinking the PET scan, you know, I'm thinking to myself, God, this must be what it means like to be injected before you're being executed. You know, because I've worked at maximum security prisons. I've done movies about that. So, you know, me, I'm always wow. trying to have empathy and put my place, put myself as an artist in people's positions. You know, I can only fantasize about it. Well, I'm fantasizing. I'm like, God, they must be pushing me like radiation, radioactive stuff in my veins right now. So I asked the woman, I said, what is this stuff? And she looked at me like, why are you asking me this question? And <laughs> I said, what is it? And she goes, it's glucose. Oh, she goes, yeah, glucose makes the machine light up. Oh, so wow. you can tell if I have disease by putting glucose, sugar in my body. Oh, yes, ma'am. Hmm. Oh, my God. Right? If that wasn't wow. inspiring, inciting moment right there, it was like, okay. I'm on the right track. That's that's God giving me these little nuggets like, hey, girl, you got this. And so I really focused and focused and focused. So disease, like um, we were chatting earlier about things, is that imagine a baby and the baby's going to grow. Um, but imagine milk, believe it or not, or milk is another thing that's not good for you because it turns and in, metabolizes into sugar. Most people don't do that. Not know that half and half and whipping cream is to use instead. Um, but imagine if you have cancer or a disease, just go ahead and take that lighter bottle, three liter bottle, liter bottle, I don't even know what they come in anymore, or that big, big gulp, and stick it right into the disease like you would a baby's bottle sucking its nutrients. And that disease is just sucking the sugar and feeding itself. And what it's doing is it's making the blood cells go more in that direction. And what you want it to do is to stop the blood cells, to, feed, to stop it feeding. And that's the crazy wow. thing. And the brain and the body are amazing things. You know, I, I heard somebody say recently um, with cancer that their on oncologist said um, that that sugar is not is does not feed cancer or something like that. And I was, and my wife and I were both like, 
I don't think that's true. How about this? Sugar feeds disease. I believe okay. it. And I'll share this with you. Um, I forgot where I was going with this. Dog it. All right, next question. Sorry, I lost my train <laughs> It's okay. I, I think that, that, you know, people need to understand, and I, I, my wife and I have done, you know, we eat, we eat very, very clean here. Um, but we've, so we've done a lot of research on this, my, especially my wife. She won't buy anything without reading the label. <laughs> like, I'll share this with you though. And I, I would encourage you to read more because things that you think are good for you metabolize into sugar. And there's yeah. only a handful of things that don't. Monk fruit doesn't, um, there's swerve, which it's okay. It's an alcohol sugar, but to me, monk fruit is the most pure. Now, when, if I eat sugar, so if someone says, oh, there's no sugar in this, and I take a bite out of it, I get the sugar buzz. And that's why you say that like, oh, you, you get a sugar buzz. I now, my body, because it doesn't get sugar, knows immediately if red sauce has sugar in it. Isn't that interesting? Wow. So wow. my doctor, my oncologist said to keep my carbohydrates up to 100. There's also another good app out there. So there's the two books that I recommend. And then there's another book called, another app called Carb Manager. And I put what my carb manager was and what my goal was because what I wanted to do was get myself my, to my weight that I was the healthiest and the leanest. And right now I have no body fat and I'm very healthy. And I still see a nutritionist. Um, but wow. I've dropped, I only take in 23 carbohydrates a day and I eat incredibly well. Wow. Right. And the oncologist said I needed to keep my quote unquote strength up and I need to keep my carbon take up. Not the case. I get carbs, but I get good carbs and I get great fat. And so my body is a fat burning machine instead of a sugar intake machine. And it's a hard thing to switch from sugar intake to fat burning. You know, um, I I did a big shift, uh, my wife and I both, about a year and a half ago, and we went through this thing called 75 hard. It's a workout thing, and and you watch, you know, your diet and 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 all this other stuff. And and I noticed immediately because you cut out all the sugars and and the craziness. I I mean, I think I think we're addicted to sugar. I. Absolutely. And guess where that started from? That started after um, the, in the Midwest, whenever we had, um, remember they had dust bowls and they were trying to bring the farmers back. And so yep. we supplemented corn and wheat. I'm going to show you something. I'm going into our camper. Um, so I eat really, really well. I'm going to show you one thing. Like, there's this great woman that I try to empower people that are pro- um, they have a great cause. So I met this woman in Hammond, Louisiana. I found her on the on Facebook. She came recommended through a friend. And I looked at her intention, and all she is is a baker. And so she bakes these amazing fat bombs and cupcakes and cakes. I'll put you on hold one sec. But and it's all all keto. So guess what? Can you see that? Boom. Oh my gosh. What is that? Mm. Red velvet with cream cheese. Oh my God. 
It's so good. <laughs> I'll send you her info. I'm trying to get her. I'm trying to mentor her to ship it because wow. it's so doggone good. And like, I can eat pancakes. I eat all these like great, great, great things. I was looking to see if my um, there's all kinds of stuff. And there's stuff out there. If you get the Carb Manager app, yeah. there's things out there that's deceptive. And if you get in the habit of scanning your food, it'll tell you very quickly whether it's got sugar in it or not. And you'd be be wow. amazed. I only eat A's and B's. I will not eat a C or an F. If it's an F, and it's the funniest thing. You go in the health food aisle, and you're like, oh, <clears> that <throat> looks healthy to me. It sounds healthy. I scan it. <laughs> it's an F. I'm like, man, I would have bought it. So now wow. I'm on this Carb Manager app to live. So anyway, that's me. And you can and scan it like a, you can, yeah. you can scan it like a picture, like, or you, you have to you scan the label. Barcode. And then if it's not in there, you can just type what it is. Like if, so obviously her cupcakes are not going to be in there. So all I right. do is type in keto, red velvet, cream cheese, ice cream, I mean, cream cheese filling yeah. cupcake. And it pops up and it shows me what I can have of it. And usually it only takes a half a bite for me. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, well, that's really good. And I don't have the buzz. I don't know who Facebook user is, but Facebook user just asked if you like the Dr. Axe keto. Um, I have not done that one. So for me, I am a fan. It's Miriam's and it's keto for cancer. That's one that I believed in. And I also okay. believed in starving cancer. How to starve cancer was another critical thing. Don't yeah. eat root vegetables. Do not. They turn to sugar. Don't eat root, what? Run. Root vegetables. They turn to sugar. Oh. Oh, it's my wife. My wife is on here, Jill. So, so you uh, like carrots? Correct. It's a sugar. Really? Yes, sir. What about potatoes? Sugar. What? Wow. Oh, are you there? I can't hear you now. Can you see me? Oh, here. I hear you now. Okay, I hear yeah, you. Yeah, I think one of my, like, emergency ones came through, but that's fine. It's just the scoop of my assistant. I got um, you. So if, you, if you're a healthy person and doesn't have anything going on, great. But those of us that have been given a scarlet letter, um, yeah. so we know we have active disease. For me, the way that I maintain disease is by not eating sugar. Wow. But I eat a good, you just saw me eat a cupcake. Right? <laughs> and there's I no sugar in that. <laughs> monk fruit. It has monk fruit. So when I met the girl from Hammond, you know, I reached out to her and I said, hey, look, I want to help you with your message and I want to help promote you because I do feel that people like that need to be elevated in the world. And that's what John and I are about. We're all about small towns, all about empowering small towns and getting people to get out, shake each other's hands and get to know each other. Right. And I so um, I shared with her my monk fruit and I said, hey, look, let me ship you some. I'll pay you to make a batch for me. You're using Swerve, which is a great product. However, I prefer monk fruit. I'm going to ship you some. And if it comes out horrible, I'm still going to pay you and I'll still eat it. Well, it came out incredible. And now she's using the monk fruit. My wife is on here. I, Jill, you need to go over to my personal Facebook page so your name shows up. Um, you're, in, you're in one of the private groups. So... Um, my wife uses monk fruit though. So. 
Yes. And and she loves it. I I I freaking love it too. And and let me let me say something. Like, you know, I've I've interviewed 300 and some odd celebrities and and entrepreneurs and and I just absolutely love your energy. I love yeah. and I love John. I think that you guys are just two peas in a pod. You're not I mean you know, you could be pompous asses like a lot of people are, but you're not. You're just down life, to earth. Life good is people. too short. And we're all supposed to be brothers and sisters here. Right. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I love it. Alicia, I could talk to you literally you. all day. We'll do another one. I, I would love to do another one with you anytime. Thank you for coming on. If you would stay with me though, um, I'd like to chat with you real quick, but I'm going to end the the live stream. And um, Jeff Christensen says, I'm officially addicted to Alicia. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Love it. Love it. And I really think you need to write a, are you writing a book about all of this? Yeah. I'm the, oh, hell no is that portion of my life. And then the other one's going to be about my journey and making it to the Eagle's nest. And that one's called cashing in on seduction. They're just those little things. Like right now I'm gearing up because we're doing Bo's extravaganza, say the small town tour. So right now I am. And what I do with that real quick. Yeah. And that people have forgotten. So I go to the chambers in these small towns and engage them and mentor them what it means to be in strategic alignment with each other, that we're not in competition and that there's enough for everyone. And that reciprocal trade is the critical thing. And when small towns and communities can get together and realize that you can weather any storm that's thrown at you, right? Because of one thing, it's called trust. And that is what we have to work on in the world is trust. Oh, I agree so much. I agree so much with you. Are you guys, are you doing, is it a tour that you're doing then? Yeah. Just That's like not just in. You know, just like a circus that used to come to town. It's yeah. It's going to be Bo's extravaganza and it's John Schneider coming to town. We're showing movies. We're doing dirt, dirt track racing. John and I both started dirt track racing. Yeah. Um, we're right in our element. I like that. I have the need for speed. So does he. So we're doing it <laughs> and playing are, music. You gonna be in Ohio? Well, yeah, I, that's, we actually just met two uh, racetracks up there. Oh yeah, no, I'm planning this. I think I can only handle four, uh, one extravaganza every four weeks. So the goal is to get me to where I'm doing them every two weeks. And we have um, cars being built right now. We have our band that we've been with Cody McCarver and uh, those guys. Our band rocks. Good guys. Yeah. And uh, wow. we're gonna be a village roadshow. I love it. Like? I, I love, love, love what you guys are doing. And and if there's anything I can ever do, you know, just reach out. I'd love, love to help it. you guys with anything. So stay with me. I'm gonna I'm gonna end this. Thank you to everybody who watched and shared this out. Follow Alicia. Where's the best place to follow you? You can actually follow us at johnschneiderstudios.com. John Schneider also has an app for free and he shows you everything that we do and also let's do john schneider on facebook i pop in a lot of times and i'm usually the sidekick i'm his gracie (laughs) you guys make an awesome couple so thank you so much i appreciate you being here hang on i'm going to end this thank you to everybody have a great day and we will see you all later thanks so much alicia see you down the road as you say (laughs) all right